0: Welcome back to Drop Pass Podcast, buddy. Another great guest episode in the bag and a big thanks once again to Nico for coming on this show and breaking down his journey as to one of the upcoming Finnish rearguards in the NHL. And if you missed that episode, go ahead and take a listen since it was nice to hear what his journey has contained so far and how he was able to break into one of the strongest decors in the entire league as an overage 5th round pick. This week though, as you could imagine, the episode is pretty much reserved for the NHL trade deadline. And as you've already become accustomed to, I will break down all the trades that went down this week. Since now that the gong show between Anaheim and Vegas is settled as well, we have all the necessary details related to all the deals that went through on the deadline day and even before that. Before that walkthrough though, we will quickly venture into the UFC action since last weekend London hosted its first UFC event in almost 3 years and we also saw our Finnish representative Makwan Amerkani in the cage, so we will touch upon that event as well before we head into our trade deadline breakdown. But before we start, remember to leave a rating for the podcast on Spotify and go follow the podcast page on Instagram at the drop underscore pass but i think that's good enough of an intro for this episode you know exactly what to anticipate this week so let's get to the action without further ado let's get go and so we are off to another edition of the weekly ramblings of yours truly. And we are going to kick things off with the UFC as I said since. We saw a very entertaining card last weekend in London's O2 Arena. Where in the prelims as I mentioned Maquan Americani was facing a tough battle against the favorite Mike Grundy. And he knew that with a loss in this fight he might have seen the end of his UFC career. But early in the first minute. Grundy walked straight to Maku's trap and a few seconds later took a nap in the arms of Mr. Finland. It was an impressive way to end the fight as Grundy was also known for his jokes and had a strong grappling background in his back pocket but that didn't stop Maku, and he ended the fight in just 57 seconds via anaconda joke. It was great to see him coming back from a three-fight losing streak, and now we can expect to see him back in the octagon fairly soon after such a quick finish. Great win on all accounts, and we could see that the patience and composure paid dividends in this fight, so hopefully he's bound for a real comeback after this win. Other notable win in the prelims belonged to Scotland's Paul Gregg, who once again showed his grappling pedigree by choking out Russia's Nikita Krylov in the very first round. Phenomenal triangle choke put an end to that fight, and with his recent victories over upcoming Jamal Hill and most recently Krylov, he's seen his stock rising and is slowly starting to make his way to the top 5 of the light heavyweight division. And the last tire pump from the prelims belongs to Russia's Sergei Pavlovich who knocked out previously 10th ranked opponent Shamil Abdurahimov impressively at the end of the first round. After his loss to Alistair Overeem in 2018 the Russian has started to climb the heavyweight rankings and is bound to face some serious opponents in the future as he gets closer to the cream of the division. Performance of the night bonuses from his knockout and a major step towards the top end of the weight class. The main card itself started off with a bang as Ilya Topuria and Englishman Jay Herbert faced off in the first fight in the light heavyweight division where Topuria showed his never back down mentality and put Herbert to sleep in the second round. The upcoming Georgian made his lightweight debut in this fight and it seemed to fit him very nicely. So we can expect him to keep surging towards the top of the weight class. 12-0 record so far, heavy hands and another guy who is bound to face some serious opponents already this year with that record so keep taps on him as well. In women's flyweight division we saw the knockout of the night as Molly McCann absolutely clobbered Luana Carolina in the third round with a spinning elbow which ended the night for the underdog right after that we saw a clash between two karate style fighters as Icelandic grappler Gunnar Nelson totally dominated the fight against Japanese Takashi Sato and the fight ended up being quite uneventful as Nelson took Sato down time after time and dominated the events inside the octagon after two losses to Walter White top contenders Leon Edwards and Gilbert Burns in 2019, Nelson is looking to get back into the mix and seemingly the three-year break has been beneficial for this grappling master. In the last fight before the main events, we saw probably the most anticipated matchup in this card when Liverpool's own Paddy the Batty Pimbled and Mexican Rodrigo Vargas took the cage in the lightweight division. Well, as you could expect, the baddie put on another show for the fans and ended the fight after three minutes in the first round via rear naked joke. Say what you want about him, but this guy knows how to hype up the crowd and especially in his home turf, it was as easy as taking a lollipop from a baby. He's soon going to have to start facing the big dogs in the division, but as he said, that won't happen until Dana, puts few zeros to his paycheck and until that happens he might as well keep the UFC trending in the social media let's see though how long these dance moves last since I know that few guys already might want to slap that mop off his head in the very near future in the co-main event we saw another stoppage as the 7th ranked Englishman Arnold Allen put on an absolute brawl with New Zealand's Dan Hangman Hooker both guys exchanged heavy combos right from the get-go and Allen was close to finishing this fight within the first two minutes. But Hooker was able to stay on his feet until the last blow which landed at 2 minutes and 33 seconds when the ref put an end to this firework show. Neither guy held nothing back and they exchanged ferociously in the pocket as I said. And this fight really left no one cold even though it didn't last the full three rounds. Hooker has now suffered major losses to division stop dogs Poirier, Chandler, Mahachev and now Allen and has fallen off the top 15 so one could say that it is going to be an uphill battle if he wants to climb back on top of the division after these losses so we have to wait and see what he has in store for us in the future. In the main event, The big boys went at it as Russia's own Alexander Drago Volkov faced up against Britain's upcoming challenger Tom Aspinall. And I gotta say that Volkov was left on his tracks in this fight as he didn't get to utilize his reach since Aspinall was in his face right from the start and he really got to showcase his fast hands for such a big guy. We've seen this previously from Volkov, so it didn't come as a huge surprise, but more so I was extremely happy to see that Aspinall really belongs to the top of the heavyweight division. His hand speed is top of the line in the weight class, and it really showed in this fight, which ended in a submission in the first round. He took Drucker down impressively and finished the fight with a clean arm bar after threatening him with a possible kimura, which eventually led to the finish. Aspinall climbed straight to 6th spot in the division and already called out tied to Iwasa so that could be the next stop for the Englishman in the UFC. Great fights in the making in the heavyweight division and already this week we will have 4th ranked Curtis Blades going at it with ninth ranked Chris Dawkins. so those guys have their say as well when it comes to top 8 ranking. Great card overall, extremely exciting fights across the board, so I have to say that the UFC really belongs to Europe as well, and the British crowd really amped up the events with their presence. We are just two weeks away from the highly anticipated UFC 273, which features top-of-the-line matchups started by Gilbert Burns vs. Hamzad Jimaev, the co-main event, Aljamain Sterling vs. Peter Jan rematch, and the main event itself the korean zombie chan sung-young versus featherweight champion australian alexander walkanowski so big big matchups coming up in the ufc front so at least i'm going to inhale all of it once it is presented for us viewers But that's all for the UFC this week. We can get straight to NHL action since we saw one of the more hectic trade deadlines in the modern history. And overall, 31 players changed zip codes in the process. So let's get down to business and see what kind of deals went through earlier this week. And we might as well start a few days earlier since the trades started to roll in already before the deadline day as usual. But this time around... Most of the trades didn't just happen before the deadline, but on the day itself. So let's start from the February 19th, since I quickly mentioned the Tyler Toffoli trade, which show I'm going to Calgary in exchange for Tyler Pitlick, Emil Heinemann, alongside 1st, 5th and 4th round picks, but I guess you were already aware of that, so we ain't going to dwell with that longer than we have to. Nevertheless, on February 19th, the Leafs also dealt their major summer acquisition, Nick Ritchie, alongside 2025 second rounder to Arizona in exchange for Ryan Zingle and Ilya Lidushkin. And I gotta say that I like this deal for the Leafs since they added a heavy hitting blue liner to their back end who can be a nasty defensive contributor in their own zone. But like I said, there was a void for this type of 7th slash bottom pairing D-man with physical edge. So I gotta say that it wasn't the worst trade that the Leafs have done during the past few years. And especially when they got rid of Richie's contract, that by itself is a win overall for the Leafs. Then they acquired Carter Hutton as their backup's water boy, and Zingle got claimed by the Sharks. So who needs that information anyways? The next big move happened on March 14th as we started to get closer to the deadline when Colorado Avalanche began their arming operation by sending their former second-round pick defenseman Drew Hallison to Anaheim alongside 2023 second-rounder in exchange for right-handed defenseman Joss Manson. To me, it was a decent price tag that the Avs paid for Manson, but I'm not going to say that they wouldn't need this type of defenseman in the playoffs. They have room on the right side and Manson slots perfectly in their bottom four as a shutdown guy who can play the puck up the ice from the defensive zone. This year hasn't been his best, but I expect his numbers to climb a bit once he settles into Mile High City and their stack squad. Good deal for both teams. Hellison looks like a future top six demon, while the second rounder doesn't hurt their future plans. And this was the first piece to move out of Anaheim from my earlier predictions. The next day, Avs continued where they had left off as they made a typical hockey trade which saw Nico Sturm and Tyson Jost switching sides in the Central Division. Jost hasn't reached his offensive potential that we saw in the juniors and was pretty much stuck on their bottom six. And so, they decided to switch him to a more physical defensive minded center who pretty much covers similar bases than Jost did as their 4th line center. I really hope that Joost finds the spark in Mini and is able to find his offense, but when you look at their playing system and the current core, you notice that their games are not won by outscoring the opposition, but more so with strong defense, so I really doubt that this change will do anything regarding his point totals and offensive game. Not a major deal in the big picture, but both guys could benefit from a small change of scenery, Not so much when it comes to ice time or roll. Moving on and we wander upon another guy that I had mentioned in my trade deadline preview. Florida's Frankie Vatrano. He was dealt to the pick Apple on March 16th and has already been slotted in their first line alongside Jibanezad and Kreider. So you can expect his point totals to increase big time by the end of the season. Also, the Rangers only gave up this year's fourth round pick for his services, so while the Panthers made some space to their cap, they had to short sell Vatrano under the market value to make this deal happen, but as I had mentioned in the previous episode, Vatrano was the odd man out, so it was good for him as well personally to get another chance in another organization. Beneficial trade for both parties once again, Panthers alleviated some cap space, while the Rangers got themselves a very versatile top nine forward with some solid offensive upside. And after this move, Florida put that cap space to use as they acquired a rugged big boy blue liner to their back end from the Canadians by the name of Ben sharat In exchange, Montreal got a former third round selection, Thijs Milanić, 2022 fourth and 2023 conditional first rounder but we won't go into details on what those conditions are since you can find them out if you feel like you need to know under what conditions Canadians won't have 12 first round picks in the next two drafts. But back to that trade Canadians retain half of Sherrod's salary and as I had mentioned Sherrod is a very divisive player in a sense that he certainly has value especially in the playoffs because of his play style, but because he has played in a role that doesn't fully go hand in hand with what he provides his numbers haven't stood out positively so you could easily say that the Panthers overpaid for his services but you gotta keep in mind that if they win the cup nobody remembers what they gave up in this trade. It's a very effective shutdown guy whose bruising play style is very consuming for opposing forwards. And you need these type of guys when the plays start to get more physical. And you need guys to put their bodies on the line. That is exactly what he does best. So in my mind, once again, good deal for both teams. But I'm not completely declining the overpayment aspect in this trade. But we'll see how he fits in their back end especially now that Plaid is out of their lineup for the remainder of the regular season and is still questionable for the playoffs. Next up, we got Calgary, who added another depth piece to their forward core. But to be honest, it didn't come cheap. They added Cullen Yarncock to their lineup, but had to give up 2022 second, 2nd, 2023, 3rd, and 2024 7th rounder to do so. So you can already see that even their pieces were not cheap this year. He will slot nicely to their middle six, especially now that Sean Monahan's presence in their offense has declined tremendously. And he can either play on the wing or at center and has the ability to kill penalties. So great addition for the playoffs for the Flames. Two days later, on March 18th, Tampa Bay started to assemble their cup winning team when they added Brandon Hagel to their top nine, alongside two fourth-round picks from Chicago. In exchange, the Blackhawks added two former second-round picks, Taylor Radish and Boris Kachuk, alongside 2023 and 2024 lottery-protected first-round picks. So I gotta say, it was a lot to give up on the pick front, but... This deal was very beneficial for both teams since both Kachuk and Radish really haven't been able to make their marks in the Paltz lineup because of pure strength of it and now they get their chances to really break into the NHL in Chicago who are missing solid young contributors from their lineup. Both guys are still young enough to make the jump even into top 6 roles. They have very solid numbers from the AHL and as you know... They've gone through the Baltz farm system, which is known for their ability to grow prospects with efficiency even from the later rounds. So we'll see if they are able to make their breakthroughs finally in Chicago, since at least I've been expecting that to happen for some time now, but that unfortunately hasn't happened yet. When it comes to Hagel's value in Tampa... They are hoping now to have their replacement for either Goodrow, Coleman or Gord who they lost last offseason and by the looks of it that very much could be the case when looking at these numbers from the Blackhawks. Great all-around energy player with offensive neck and physical edge should sit well with Tampa's high tempo system and I'm sure that he's very aware of the fact that why he was brought to Tampa Bay and what they expect from him going forward. Great addition in my papers and should be beneficial player for the Bolts in the playoffs. And when it comes to those picks they gave up for his services, I mean, that's an extremely good pull for the Hawks since they are on the verge of a rebuild. And looking at the 2023 draft, there are some names in the top 10 that could change the course of their organization in a few years once they step into the nhl so very good deal for the blackhawks even though they had to give up one of their core members of the future the next day deals continued to fall through as anaheim continued to empty out their current roster first it was time for Nicolas delaurier to head to minnesota and a few moments later their top four demon hambus linholm packed his bags and headed to East Coast in exchange for 2022 first round pick, 2023 and 2024 second round picks, John Moore and young defenseman Urho Vaakanainen. Oh yeah, and Cody Curran also headed to Boston, but that's that. The Laurier was a good addition for the Wild who could use a physical presence in their bottom six. But quite frankly, the third round pick wasn't what I was expecting for exchange. He doesn't add much value offensively, but can be a total headache for defenders in the forecheck. And he can and will drop the gloves in a heartbeat, so he will add his physical presence to their fourth line. When it comes to Lindholm trade, I gotta say that it was a hefty price that the Bruins had to give up. Especially for a guy that doesn't have much value offensively. And he's had a bit of a down year, so they will hope that he's able to find his form with the Bruins. Who are currently hitting up ahead of the playoffs. While on the hindsight, Waganan should get a chance to make a statement on the NHL level with the Ducks, and I'm expecting them to bet on his progress as well. Draft picks were a nice addition for the retooling team, and now that some of their top young guns have already made their way to the NHL lineup, they will add even more depth to their prospect pool with these picks. Bruins strengthened their top 4 even more but I gotta say that this move could haunt them in the future and smells like a desperate move from Sweeney to just add something on the deadline. But I'm not sure if this was the move to make when they are missing a real impact second line center from their lineup. We'll see if this was another pointless move from Sweeney ahead of the playoffs, but I can at least guarantee that Duck's new GM Pat Berbeek is extremely happy with the return they got in this deal. The last deal that day was one of the blockbusters of the deadline, as a lifetime Philadelphian Claude Giroux began his Stanley Cup hunt when he switched to Florida Panthers uniform after his 1000 NHL game. Alongside Giroud, the Panthers gained 2024 5th rounder, Russian prospect Germán Rubtsov and depth forward Connor Bonneman. While the Flyers received 2024 conditional 1st rounder, 2023 3rd rounder and a right winger Owen Tippett from Florida. Does this sound like a bargain to you? Because it really does for me. The main reason for such an underwhelming return was Giroud's no movement clause which he have to lift in order to make this deal go through and I'm more than sure that the Flyers had better deals in place to elsewhere but as I said in the previous episode Giroud had his say when it came to his final destination and I'm sure that the Panthers used that leverage to their advantage. The first rounder is going to be a late one if the Panthers miraculously don't just start to plummet during the next two years and the third rounder is just an add-on to this deal since no one can predict the outcome of that selection Tippett has shown that he has the offensive capability to play on a top six role but hasn't been able to make that happen in Florida because of their stacked lineup so this move should benefit him personally as well but That just isn't a promise in a crap box of a team called the Flyers. Another major L for Fletcher but we've already come accustomed to those so it shouldn't surprise you at this point. Giroud will slot alongside either Barkov or Huberto so you can only imagine the outcome of those partnerships. Quite miraculously the Panthers made themselves even stronger with this move and at this point it's starting to become a real cup or bust season for these guys with this current roster. Ekblad's injury will hurt no doubt about it, but they have the firepower and the depth to make a deep playoff push after the regular season is over. After adding Giroux to their top six, the Panthers added another name to their back end as they traded their sixth round pick of this year's draft to Buffalo in exchange for defenseman Robert Haig. Not a major deal, but as I said, if Ekblad's injury is a major one, they are going to need depth in their back end. And this was a move that gives them the opportunity to mix and match their deep pairings if need be. Next up was Ottawa's turn to add a piece to their back end, and I gotta say that I didn't really get why this deal even happened in the first place. The Sens gave up a third-round pick for defenseman Travis Hamunik, who had expressed his willingness to leave Vancouver, but... Nobody had even picked him while he went through the waivers earlier this season. He has seen his best years in the NHL and has been in decline for the past few years, so I was a bit mesmerized about the return the Canucks gained from this transaction, since it was a common knowledge that he wasn't really liked inside their locker room either. Great deal for Vancouver, but once again, I got a question the decisions made in Ottawa, because... They parted ways with one of their more physical demons in their lineup, but brought back another to fill the gap, even though they are not fighting for a playoff spot in the East. This was a really dumb move for the Sens in my mind, but as we've seen, these moves are exactly what has caused them to be in the bottom half of the league for years now, so not a surprising move by any means. So, just as Hamonic left Vancouver, the Canucks replaced him with another defenseman from Toronto, and his name is Travis Dermott. He has been in the rumors for a while now and hasn't been able to break into the top four because of Muzzin's and Royalist presence, but now he gets the chance to do so in Vancouver. The Canucks gave up a 3rd round pick to acquire him, and even though he might not be the biggest addition, he will replace Hamannick and certainly has more upside than what Hamannick is able to bring to their back-end. Needed a change of scenery, since Lillegren and Sandin were battling for ice time with him, and now he gets to show if he has what it takes to claim a top 4 role he was expected to take in Toronto. The Kings also bolstered their back-end as they claimed right-handed defenseman Troy Stecher from Detroit and only gave up this year's 7th round pick to do so. Good deal for the Kings since they battled with injuries. Andrew Dowdy is most likely going to miss the remainder of the season, which is going to hurt their chances to grab a playoff spot in the West. He will slot in their top 6 and can play top-line minutes if need be, but is more suited as a complementary piece in their bottom four. I personally like his game, but seemingly Iserman didn't see a future with him in Detroit, but I gotta say that I was expecting better return for his services. Nevertheless, good addition for the Kings, but he won't straight up replace Dowdy in their blue line, that's for sure. Next up, it was Toronto's time to fill that cap space that they had relieved, as they claimed veteran defenseman Mark Giordano Alongside depth forward Colin Blackwell from Seattle, in exchange for two second round picks and a 2024 third rounder. The fire sale continued in Seattle, and it has to be said that I was expecting these results already last summer, but seemingly Francis wanted to acquire assets to grow them for the deadline and reap the interest gained during the season. They didn't get the first rounder they were looking for, but acquired good assets for the future while Toronto received an experienced presence to their back end alongside effective physical forechecker to their bottom six. Joss' offense has declined during the past few years, but he's still very dependable to a presence on the blue line and brings invaluable veteran leadership to their locker room, which seemingly has been missing in Toronto. He can play anywhere in their back end and is very capable defensively, so at least they addressed one of their weaknesses it remains to be seen though if this was the move that will get them over the hump in the playoffs. Then we head back to Tampa where they acquired another replacement for their missing three of Coleman, and Goodrow as they traded for big net front presence and elite defensive player Nick Paul from Ottawa in exchange for their top nine option Matthew Joseph and 2024 fourth round pick. Another great move on paper for the Bolts as they seek their replacements and they didn't give up too much in this deal as Joseph hasn't really been able to break into their top six. So more defensively oriented forward was a good replacement for him in their bottom six. He's not going to bring any huge offensive numbers to the table but is extremely effective in the defensive zone while Joseph gets another chance to prove his offensive capabilities in a struggling sense squad. Good deal for both sides and I'm especially expecting Joseph to gain more momentum from a change of scenery. After that Dallas grabbed another goaltender to their crease from Arizona which was really surprising but uh, with this move we pretty much received the confirmation that Holtby's injury was a serious one and that Jake Ottinger was going to be the starter for the remainder of the regular season. The Stars gave up a conditional fourth rounder in 2023 draft, which turns into third rounder if the Starks make the playoffs. But that's quite a ways away at this point, so it wasn't a major asset to give up for a backup. That doesn't really bring much more than an additional option in net. And while I was talking about a fire sale that was going on in Seattle, I really did mean it. Since after the Giordano trade, they also shipped off defenseman Jeremy Lazan for a second rounder, and a forward Mason Appleton for a 2023 fourth rounder. Appleton returned back to Winnipeg and the price for him was acceptable while I was more surprised by the haul that they gained from Jeremy Lazon who was traded to Nashville for 2022 second round pick. That's what they got for services and I have to say that it was way more than I was expecting for a bottom pairing defenseman. Don't get me wrong he's Good defensive defenseman but a second rounder seems a bit much when looking at these numbers overall from both Boston and now Seattle. The Preds have had some injury troubles so I guess that they were ready to give up major assets for a top 6 defenseman and that became reality when they acquired Lazon from Seattle. Wouldn't have given up that pick in this position but... They are in for a real playoff push show seemingly they are willing to give up assets to do so but this was way too much just in my opinion. March 21st was upon us which meant that the deadline clock was ticking for teams and the Pittsburgh Penguins started the show by acquiring Nathan Beaulieu from the Winnipeg Jets for a conditional 2022 7th rounder. Not a major deal by any means, but the Pens are making their last pushes for the Stanley Cup and needed additional players to their back end, in which Bellew fits perfectly since he plays the physical game and is not new to playoff hockey. And after that, Arizona bolstered their prospect pool by adding Minnesota's third-round pick Jack McBain to their roster for this year's second-round pick and signed him later to his ELC. According to rumors, McBain wasn't going to sign with the Wild this offseason so pretty much they had to ship him off for some assets and a second rounder which belonged to Vancouver isn't bad concerning the situation they were going to face. McBain could evolve into a very effective top 9 option and already is at the end of his collegiate career so he is pretty much ready to step into the professional ice. The second rounder as well is going to be pretty high one so overall good deal for both parties even though it wasn't a blockbuster by any means. Seattle was back at it once again and this time the Caps claimed back their former forward by the name of Marcus Johansson for a young forward Daniel Sprung 2022 fourth and 2023 sixth rounder. Sprong was a good addition for the Kraken since he has showed that he is capable of putting up points with capable linemates. And the additional picks will only boost the team's prospect pool going forward. To me though, it was a pretty large price to pay for the veteran forward. And we've already seen that Johansen has seen his best years in the NHL. But seemingly, the Caps are hoping that he will once again find his offensive touch in the nation's capital but I just can't see that and we will see if the Caps are even able to make a strong push in the playoffs with their current roster. I was expecting them to make a move that would strengthen their goaltending position, but I guess this was the move to make for the franchise. The Jets gained back their fourth round pick when they shipped off Brian Little's contract to Arizona and sent them prospect Nathan Smith as well. Then Minnesota made a major move as they acquired defenseman Jacob Middleton from San Jose in exchange for Finnish netminder Kapo Kakkonen and a 5th round pick. Middleton will bolster their back end, which is quite stacked already with defensive minded blue liners, while Kahkonen has been flirting with the starter job in mini but hasn't been able to overthrow Talbot from their crease. Hopefully this move enables him to show his potential in a team that is missing their clear number one goalie since at least I don't count Reimer as a true starter or at least an elite one in this league. Middleton was becoming a UFA this summer so there wasn't a clear picture of him resigning in San Jose. So it was a wise to test the market as his current value is highest since getting his call up in the NHL. And the first thought... Probably after the trade was, well, if the Wild just gave up their backup, who's going to step into their craze if Talbot starts to leak? Well, pretty soon after we found out what the situation was going to be regarding their goaltending, since they traded for Chicago's veteran netminder Marc-Andre Fleury and sent the Blackhawks a conditional second-round pick, which becomes first-rounder if the Wild advance to the conference finals. Great deal once again for both teams. Mini gets an established starter with great credentials from the playoffs, while Chicago receives a high draft pick for upcoming UFA, which most likely wasn't going to remain in Chicago. Real boost for the team going forward, so now the flower just needs to prove his worth for the Wild fans in the playoffs. And after those moves, the Rangers decided to participate to the party as well, and kick things off by acquiring veteran defenseman Justin Braun from the Flyers in exchange for 2023 third round pick. Solid depth defenseman with defensive acumen is a solid app to their back end, and thus they get the chance to play their young guns Schneider and Lundqvist in the A while they make their push towards the Stanley Cup. This brings stability to a young D-core and is going to benefit them in the playoffs without a doubt. Then it was Boston's time to add depth pieces to their blue line, and as I had mentioned, Ottawa's rugged right-handed blue liner, Josh Brown, was off to Boston alongside 2022 seventh-rounder in exchange for a forward prospect, Jack Sennishin, and a fifth-round pick. Not a major deal once again by any means, but the Bees add another mean element to their blue line. While they give up only one of their unproven prospects, who still might have small upside in the NHL. Not too much to speculate about this deal, so let's continue since we still have plethora of deals that went through before the deadline clock ran out. Then it was time for the Canadians to bolster their prospect pipeline even more and add draft assets as they send Arturi Lehkonen to the apps for defensive prospect Justin Baron and a 2024 second round pick. So, as you can see, the asking price was high for Lehkonen as well, but the Avs were willing to give up one of their bigger prospects to acquire the finished two-way pivot. And as a Havs fan, I'm extremely excited to see Barron's upside since I was already pretty surprised when he dropped in the rankings during his draft year, even though everyone knew his strengths as a future top 4 blue liner with elite skating ability. We don't have too many of those in Montreal, so I'm glad that Hughes was able to grab him in this trade, while Lechkonen will bring his defensive acumen to the Avs' bottom six and is going to be an impactful piece for them in the playoffs as a great penalty killer. I'm not going to say that the Avs paid too much for him, but that was the price at this point, and since the Avs had the assets and were willing to sacrifice those to make a deep playoff push, I think both teams benefited from this, but... Like I said, I love this move from GM Hughes. Excellent add to our future blue line. Next two blue liners on the move were Nick Letty and Jake Walman. As the Blues and the Red Wings made a deal which saw Oscar Sundquist, Jake Walman, and a 2022 second round pick going to Detroit in exchange for an elite face puncher, Ludwig Kowski and veteran presence of Nick Letty And I have to admit that I admire plan's ability to hide great assets in deals. And at a first glance, this might seem that it was a near to nothing trade for both teams, or at best, the Blues won it because they added at least a veteran presence to their Blue line who had already won a Stanley Cup, but that's not necessarily the case. Mind you, the Wings also acquired another second rounder alongside Sunquist and Wallman. And those two by themselves are very serviceable pieces in bottom rows. Sundquist is a pure two way grinder who is great as a forward line guy, while Wallman could still have something in store which he hasn't been able to show in St. Louis because of this stacked lineup. Shout out to Nico Mikkola. So, if you have paid any attention to Detroit's recent draft picks, you can clearly see that these guys have this shit down to a T and they rarely miss so in my mind that's gotta be the biggest asset of this deal no competition Letty was a great addition to blues back end and even though he's had a rough year in detroit he's still very capable defenseman who can clog up minutes and play on both the power play as well as the penalty kill and still possesses great skating ability which is quite rare for veteran defensemen solid trade for both teams the Blues were looking for a blue liner and they got one. Probably not the one they were hoping to receive, but Letty is a versatile piece that is going to bring his veteran presence to their back end and locker room. Then we head back to Arizona since the selling continued and surprisingly the players departing were not Chikrin and Kessel, but Sinnerman, Johan Larsen, and Riley Nash. Larsen was acquired by the Capitals for a 2023 third rounder. And Nash left to Tampa Bay for a few lottery tickets. Another solid dead piece added by the Caps. He's been very solid defensively through the past few years in Arizona. So I'm glad to see him in a team that is going to fight in the playoffs. Not much else to say about these deals. Nash is probably going to be the odd man out. He may be a fault line center, but don't expect anything else from him during the rest of the season. After that, it was time to return to somewhat of a blockbuster area as the New York Rangers captured fan-favorite Andrew Kopp from the Jets alongside 2023 sixth-round pick and gave up prospect Morgan Barron two 2022 conditional second-round picks, which one of them could become first-rounder if the Rangers advanced to the conference finals, and finally, a 2023 fifth-round pick. I love this deal since the Rangers have been looking for additional contributor to their top nine, and Cop feels that Void Perfectly as a very versatile forward who can play on the wing as well as at center and also has the ability to play on both the power play and the penalty kill. So, what else could you ask for? The best part about this deal is that the Rangers didn't give up any of their top assets. For example, Niels Lundqvist, Braden Schneider, Keandre Miller. And even though they gave up big picks in the upcoming draft, if Cop gets his offense rolling in their top six and resigns in New York, they have a stacked lineup that should become a real contender in the East. Barron has some upside, but is most likely going to top out as a solid bottom six option, who has good defensive ability. So the picks are the ones that might make the difference in this deal, as the Jets are looking to bolster their prospect pool even further. Great, great deal in my notes, and the Rangers didn't have to give up too much to obtain Kopp, who is becoming a UFA this summer, which might have decreased his value to a certain extent. The Jets were not done doing business, though, since few moments later, they acquired rugged power forward Jack Sanford from the Sens in exchange for a fifth-round pick. And at this point, you might ask, why are you even mentioning this trade, but... To me, this was a decent addition to the Jets' bottom six. He has showcased his physical play style this year in Ottawa, and even though he might not have the highest ceiling offensively, he adds a physical element to their roster, and he is already accustomed to West's physical style of play from his days in St. Louis. So for me, it was a good small addition for the Jets roster. Then it was time for another Blockbuster-esque trade, as the Pittsburgh Penguins acquired power forward Ricard Raquel from the Ducks in exchange for Dominic Simon, defensive catalyst Jack Aston reese Swedish goalie prospect Kale Klang and this year's second round pick. So he pretty much completes the trio of Lindholm, Manson and Raquel from Anaheim that I had anticipated to be on the move at the deadline in the preview episode. I'm pretty torn about this trade in Penn's perspective since Without a doubt Raquel has the capability to score goals and add numbers offensively, but I'm not quite sure if this was the move to make before the playoffs, because he hasn't been able to consistently put up similar numbers to years prior, and he isn't really known for his defensive game. There is a big upside in this deal, but they gave up one of the best defensive forwards in this deal, who quite honestly had zero to none offensive contributions, so which trade-off is going to be more beneficial in the long run is my question for their management. They didn't give up too much in this deal, that's for sure. They got Philip Lindbergh in the pipeline ahead of Klang and the goalies are always huge question marks. So it pretty much comes down to trade-off between Czar and Raquel and which player would have benefited the team more in the playoffs. The upside is there, like I said, but for some reason I just feel like Hex Sollenberg invested more in historic production than his current production capability. We will see what happens since some players really blossom in the playoffs and Raquel could be one of those guys without questions. Next up was Edmonton's turn to bolster their lineup for the playoffs as they acquired defenseman Brett Kulak from the Canadiens and veteran Derek Brassard from the Philadelphia Flyers. The Oil sent young defenseman William Lagesson alongside 2022 conditional second rounder and 2024 seventh rounder to Montreal, while 2023 fourth rounder headed to Philadelphia for Brassard's contract. And by the way, the 2022 second will turn into 2023 second rounder if the Oils make the finals, but we all know what's going to happen in the playoffs, so it doesn't really affect the return any way, shape or form. Good depth additions for the Oils, Kulak has been solid for the Habs during the past few years and can be slotted anywhere on the blue line where the Oils need the most help, while Brassard is entering his 10th team and will slot in their bottom six with ease. The last addition for Avalanche's playoff push came from San Jose as they acquired one of the NHL's Man Andrew Cogliano from the Sharks in exchange for 2024 fifth rounder. Another minor deal, but another steady veteran presence added to their bottom six, who contributes for them in the defensive zone. Calgary also made their final move when they acquired lifetime fault liner Ryan Carpenter from the Blackhawks in exchange for 2024 fifth-rounder. Minnesota dumped some cap when they dealt Swedish center Victor Raz to Seattle for future considerations. Rangers acquired their last piece from Vancouver and added Tyler Moore to their bottom six, In exchange for 2023 fourth-round pick and the last deal of the deadline was a three-way trade between the Panthers, Blue Jackets and the Hurricanes, which saw Max Domi heading to Carolina for a few prospects and a sixth-round pick. Florida was willing to eat half of Domi's salary and for doing so they gained signing rights to Russian prospect Yegor Korshkov and a sixth-round pick while the Blue Jackets acquired Carolina's last summer's third-round pick Aidan Reschak for Domi. And as I had mentioned in the preview, I expected Domi to move out of Columbus and how he had value in the playoffs. This somehow felt like an unnecessary move for the Canes since he will most likely slot into their bottom six where his offensive ability doesn't really get the shine like it could in a top-nine role. And don't get me wrong, they stacked the roster even more, but to me it just felt unnecessary to make this deal when you know that he's not known for his defense, but more so for his offense, and that they pretty much have under the wraps already. So why make this move, other than for the sake of just making some kind of move, because the others made theirs as well. I'm not really sold on this trade, as I said, they certainly added numbers to their offense, but other than that... I don't know what they're able to gain from this rental trade when he's going to play limited minutes. But pretty much those were all the trades that went down close to the deadline and as the teams made some cap space for themselves few waiver claims happened as well so I might as well mention those before we shut down for this week. First of all the Panthers had claimed finished defenseman only Uolevi from the Canucks earlier this season But on March 3rd, he got put on waivers again and the Red Wings decided to use that opportunity and claim the former first-round pick. He's already seen more ice time in Detroit and this move could really help his development as the team is in process of developing their next wave of players and Uolevi will become part of that movement in Detroit. So best of luck for him in Detroit and hopefully he's able to improve upon his past few seasons. The Islanders took back Austin Zarnik Anaheim claimed both Andre Suster and Gerald Mayhew, who had showed some promise in Philly. Veteran Brad Richardson was headed to Vancouver and the last notable claim came from Arizona, who claimed Harre Satteri, who had just been signed by the Leafs from the KHL. This move was nothing but a huge FU to the Leafs since recently they've struggled with their goaltending and they were hoping that Satteri could be their backup heading for the playoffs, but that unfortunately didn't happen. The thing is that if NHL team signs a player from Europe, they have to go through waivers in order to be eligible for NHL hockey, and Arizona took the chance to show their ass to the Leafs and picked him off waivers, which didn't please Toronto's GM Kyle Dubas. The Yachts pretty much had no reason to claim him other than adding a backup for Melka, who had recently signed an extension and since Wedgwood was dealt to Dallas, but other than that, there really wasn't any material reason to claim him. So we could see some backlash from this move made by the Yachts, but that's just how things work, so can't blame them for opting to claim the Finnish netminder. But overall those were all the major moves that went through during the past couple of weeks as I said. And now we just have to wait for the playoffs to start since at least I'm extremely excited for the playoffs as most of the contending teams really made some additions to increase their chances in the playoffs. Big Boys Hurdle and Klingberg stayed with their teams but many of the guys I had brought up ended up moving so at least I had some kind of hunch when it came to biggest trade baits this year. Lastly, I have to say that the whole thing surrounding Dadanov was a total gong show and it was pretty humiliating for all teams involved to get stuck in this fiasco. And since they couldn't get rid of Dadanov's contract, they straight up placed Riley Smith on the LTIR. So now they are back below the cap ceiling with over 14 million buried in the LTIR. It's a mess in Vegas right now and they still have to find their way to the playoffs so best of luck for them going forward. Let me know what you think was the best move from the deadline and tell me who now is the leading candidate for you to win the cup before the playoffs. Really hope you enjoyed this episode, like I said I wanted to dedicate a sole episode for this deal since the pure amount was enough to fill an entire episode. And I wanted to break them into pieces and share my thoughts on the possible outcomes. Before the playoffs start, we are obviously going to do a full-on playoff preview as you could expect, so you will have to wait a few more weeks until that episode is coming out. But other than that, hope you enjoyed another installation of this show. And if I may ask, please go leave a rating for this podcast on Spotify and remember to follow the podcast page on IG at the drop underscore pass to show your support for this journey thank you so much once again for listening and i hope to see you next time have an awesome week you beauty stay tuned stay safe until next time all right